sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. Hey, what's up, everyone? Griff here, another episode of the Beer Engine podcast. Going to bring in uh, my well-known co-host, um, recently left his uh, job, I think forced out, as the quality assurance manager, cleaning the draft lines uh, at the famous Wuhan wet market. Tony, how are you doing today? Look, it's, it's I'm, I'm riled up with the uh, pol- politics that led to my dismissal. I just, I feel like it was a personal vendetta, even though they said it was unanimous, there, there was a five-person board. It was um, there was a person from the US. There was a person from New Zealand, Australia, Britain, and Canada. And like three of them said, I didn't need to go. That they were happy with my job. But mm-hmm. but one of them loves a fake tan. Said I've got to <laughs> go, and I'm just not happy. I thought I did a marvelous job. Like you just got bored. Yeah. Like. Yes, the beer has like a, a, a like. If you've ever had bat soup, the lo- the beer tends to have a bat soup kind of tang to it. Those are clean lines, though. The lines are perfect. And and Trump and and he would buy that if you just would have said it that way. I just don't think you sold it on him. The lines are perfect. It went perfect. They're Everything the greatest was lines. The greatest the lines. lines. Of course. Well, it was a tough ousting for you, but um, you know we're glad to have you back on the show. Um, uh, what have you been up to, Tony? How's things going this week for you? And in, in, in actually the maybe not no longer quarantined Australia, it sounds like you're getting close to not being that anymore. We are going to be making changes shortly because the majority of um, coronavirus cases are on the way down. Um, I would have said we, we were close to getting it normalised, but we've had a couple of outbreaks, so that may delay it. A touch longer, but what we mean by relaxing um, restrictions may just be falling in line with the majority of states in America. I'll I'll tell you where we are at the moment. There are four reasons you can be outside at the moment. Those are to buy food or buy mm-hmm. essential goods. That's one reason. To seek medical care. To go to work, or to exercise. Those are your four reasons to be outside. You can't go to a park and then sit in the park and enjoy the lovely weather or go to a beach, even if you've got your correct amount of spacing. And if you want to meet up with somebody, you can meet up with one other person outside of your household. So those are the current rules. We are looking at this stage to increase the outdoor limit of gatherings up to five or ten depending on how the cases go. That's what we're doing to ease restrictions. We're not about to open our cinemas or have sit-down restaurant meals. So I think it's important to understand what our easing of restrictions is in relation to everybody else's. New Zealand are also looking to ease restrictions, but they're looking to bring back what we would consider essential businesses because they crack down even further. Well, we are uh, we're bored with this, uh, oh, Tony. Uh, I'm bored I think, out of my uh, brain. Everyone got, got bored with it. Oh, oh, I'm not bored. I'm doing fine. Uh, if anyone follows us on Instagram at Beer Engine Pod, you know I'm doing good because you saw the big old drop of beer that got laid onto my porch. Um, 
this week. So I, I got no problems being in the house. I'm doing it a lot. Doesn't bug me. Um, you know, we're all good here, but uh, our country's bored. We're sick of th- talking about this. I don't even think we're sick of being inside. I think we're just sick of the news. Um, so we quit that. Um, we're done with it now. No more statistics will be coming out. Uh, nobody will be dying of this um, per officially <laughs> anymore. Um, they'll be dying of something else now. And the movie theaters, uh, well, in Illinois, they are not open. You know, we're we're <clears throat> we're essentially at what what you just said as like eased restrictions is sort of our stay at home order. We're that till May thirtieth, but um, at least. But uh, in the rest, a lot of the other rest of the country, they are going well they're opening the movies i don't know if people are going but their movies are open i see instagram pictures of people going to dinner um it is going to be bad so hold on to your hats we got yeah well i'm just i'm inside i I just want to reiterate that i am i i did go sit on my patio i think that's okay to do right even in even where you are tony yes absolutely in your own sit on your patio drink beers which is what that's where we're at. Um, it's not going to be good, but you know, we're here, uh, still, um, because we are at home, uh, the two of us can still chit chat and maybe, uh, bring a little bit of whether it's a soothing voice or a, uh, terrifying voice or a bad joke to all of our friendly listeners out there. So, um, absolutely. We're still alive. We're still healthy because we've done the right things. We've tried not to be selfish. And if I know our listeners, which I don't, I'm sure they're, uh, I'm sure they're doing, um, all the right things. Exactly. So Tony, I'm drinking a beer. Um, you love when I do that. I kind of like it too. This beer is called brain cake. Oh, what a name. Uh, I thought you'd think that name was funny. Um, it's a, it's the official beer of the show. It's hazy India pale ale with uh, strata citra and cashmere. What do you think about that, Tony? I think that's a delicious combination. It is. It's it's from Parish in you who uh, might be from the uh, from the south. Feel free to go fetch yourself some of this. Yeah. Give us like a line review, not a score or anything. How would you sort of sum up this beer? Dry. Um, it's got a nice zippy bitterness, not too sweet for hazy IPA. Even even potentially like. I wouldn't say grapefruity, but maybe like blood orange, you know, where it's a slightly more oh, blood orange is kind of sweet. What's what's like a slightly more bitter orange than like a navel orange? Maybe like a Valencia. I yeah, don't know, you know, yeah, whatever. Valencia. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's 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 not as it's not as like bitter as a grapefruit, but it's got like a bitter orange type flavor. Um and uh, it's it's lovely, a little bit of a, like a uh, maybe even like a sweet tarts type of thing, not the tart part, but like that like smart maybe Smarties taste to it on the front. It's You've good. lost me there. <laughs> it's not as sweet as that. I don't know how to describe it, but it's got a little bit of that. Maybe it's just how it smells. Um, <laughs> hazy IPAs a lot have a little like a thing to them to me. Maybe it's from like the I don't know what that is, but it's good. Um, recommend. Uh, so Tony, last week um, we left, uh, and I, you know, I was lucid because I can remember what we were talking about last week, which is a miracle. But um, we we uh, we teased the uh, the fact that you had finished one of the f- uh, most popular 
television programs in American history, mostly due to the fact that we're all at home um, and we have no choice but to watch this shit. So you watched The Tiger King. Um, you know, I gave a one line ish review. Let's say it's two lines. Um, what's your what's your one or two line sort of wrap up to me uh, to, to tell everybody about The Tiger King? Not to you, but to sell it to anybody that hasn't yet seen it, which I don't know who those people are, because I feel like I was the last person on planet Earth to actually watch that sucker. <laughs> I would say it's for the reality show generation, it is a modern interpretation of deliverance. Okay. I I do think it does. I mean, I think it's funnier than deliverance for most of it. Um, oh, but I do for think sure. It does, does, did you agree that it got a little bit real in the last like episode and a half? I mean, once the guy shoots himself, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> once the guy shoots himself, it's, uh, it's, I mean, whatever, how's this spoiler alert? It happened in real life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was, that it, it sort of took a turn, I think after that. It did. And I, I really enjoyed that because otherwise it's just a fun romp and there's nothing wrong with a fun romp, but it actually sort of, even if Joe Exotic, which I think he is still guilty of trying to set up Carol Baskin, um, maybe not with that Carol guy. Carol Baskin. <laughs> um, but I, I think it sort of grounds the fact that none of these people are good people, not even like partially good people. Like the, the, yeah. the people you have sympathy for are still probably terrible people because they're, they're tending to caged animals and are doing nothing yeah, like to the break that working there, yeah. Yeah, the one with one arm, the um, other guy that now um, works on, on dirt track cars, um, they're really the only two that you can have much sympathy for and even they're probably horrible people. Did you watch the uh, Joel McHale Absolutely, I watched that. Thing? Um, what did you think? Uh, give me, this is important, uh, give me your one-line reaction to the nanny uh, at the low at the Jeff Lowe household. <laughs> We're turning turning this show into that. I'm gonna turn this show into like barstool sports. She can <laughs> do some of those like, <laughs> sound effects. Oh, you know any of that shit? Um, no, that's a isn't that weird though? Jeff Lowe, I did I did, and this give me a tony let's play a, here's a quick game for you this is just guess a number game which is a, a, a little bit of a teaser for a game we might play in the future um how old do you think jeff Lowe is um now we've got to take into account that we did see him in um jail not prison but we did see his um, video link up in court which made him look a lot different to how he portrays himself, bandana and leather jacket, in the show. Sure. So yep. I don't know whether that sways me to make him too old. I'm going to say <laughs> that Jeff Lowe, oh, he's got to be 10 years older than me, and I think it's an easy 10 years. I'm going to say 56. You are way under, Tony. I got bad. Well, that's good news for Price is Right. And you are, still are the closest because you're the only person playing. But um, <laughs> he is 67 years old. Uh, so Jeff Lowe, extremely old creepo, um, bringing in a uh, couple of 20-somethings to, um, you know, I'm sure 
you know, Don, uh, Doc, Ant, Doc, At- Atler, Doc, what's his name? Doc Antler. What the hell is his name? <laughs> Ansel. <laughs> Ansel. Yeah. Right. Um, Don Ansel Adams to, uh, <laughs> fuck around with these two, uh, teenagers or whatever they are. It's a uh, fucking creepy, nasty now, freaks. Who is the nastier freak between Doc Ansel and Jeff Lowe? Cause I, I can't honestly split them. Oh, I think I, I honestly, I, I think, it, well, this is this is a great this is a great segue for me to make. People are gonna love this. Um, I think the difference between Doc Antle and uh, Jeff Lowe is this is very similar to the difference between um, Donald Trump and George Bush. Uh, Doc Antle has a better PR firm. You you think? I don't think he. I don't think he's. I don't think either of them are more or less of a creep. I think they're the same part of a creep. So here's think, the comparison. I think, Doc, that- I think Doc can frame it up where he looks like a professional who's a creep. Um, I think Jeff Lowe is just a kind of a, a total free for all at all times, but I'm not sure he's any more of a fucking weirdo than Doc is. Yeah. I, I was thinking that, that Doc is like Jared Kushner and Jeff Lowe is Donald Trump. That's see, that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, they just kind of show up and, and sort of, you know, Doc can show up and look and 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 make the appearance that he looks like he knows what he's doing, and he makes people feel comfortable that he knows what he's doing. You know, despite either maybe if he did know what he was doing, he's doing something horrible, and he he might also just not right. Oh, he definitely um, think, knows. Uh, he definitely and then, knows. Uh, Tr- Trump, similarly, who where we we sort of have no idea. He probably doesn't either. But he's just sort of winging it, and a bunch of bad stuff is also happening there, and uh, everybody feels uh, unsafe. So neither of those are good, we should point out. They're both horrible, and they're probably about as equally destructive. Um, And you could argue either one is more destructive, frankly, to depending on which, you know, part of the world you want to say is being destroyed, but – or in Doc Antle's case – Doc Antle's case – Doc Anal. I don't know. <laughs> I Probably. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, you know, how many, how many um, you know, teenage or 20-something women is he, you know, abandoned or fucked up irreparably or dominated or assaulted or whatever, you know. Yeah. There's Not a, good. You know? There's a lot of assault going on in this show. Yep, a lot of bad shit when you think about it. But, hey, it was fun, wasn't it, gang? It was. Now, were you, like... You're living in the States. So there's sort of been talk that this is not a common occurrence in the backwoods of America, but it's certainly not as uncommon as you would necessarily think for certain parts of America and Florida. Were you familiar with this culture or was your view of backwoods America a lot sort of more vanilla? I won't say less fucked up because I I certainly think it was fucked up, but I didn't think there was like... um, the homosexual, multiple marriages, Doc Antle-style thing happening. Um, I thought it was much more Republican fucked up kind of way. Well, I think it's a different – I mean, I think um, I think anytime you, you introduce um, sort of a unregulated um, – the combination of unregulated animal trade and uh, – or any trade, right, um, drugs, you know, cars, whatever else, right? Women, sex, you know, um, and you throw in sort of the desperation that gets created in 
kind of very poor parts of the country. Um, I think it's a bad combo, I guess. I'm going to throw that out there. Right? It's a tough <laughs> cocktail to mix together. Um, and I think maybe the animals part is unusual and I wasn't specifically familiar with. And none of these, you know, as a mid-30s white man who owns a house, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not – I haven't found my way into any of these uh, parts of the universe yet. I guess the darkest part of the world I've been in is the underground podcasting world, um, which, you know, has its problems. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I knew that there was big – like big cat trade was the depth of my familiarity, we would say, you know, that it, it existed, you know. I, I knew um, there was big trat big trat big cat trade going on but I always thought it was by more sophisticated operations than what was actually happening about how backwards it was and the sketch not the sketchiness I always thought they were sketchy but I thought they were more like the guy with the chucky hairdo yeah that guy yeah I, that guy was sort of a revelation too in that like there's there were sort of these kind of tertiary ancillary players in this in this world that uh were just were just sort of like not just they weren't just cat or like animal trade freaks they were just they were they had their hands in a lot of you know areas of uh of illicit trade we you know i mean they had warehouses of like well here's the uh you know it, it looks very organized right but it's like okay this is the drugs part and here's the animals part and here's the uh sex trade part and here's the guns and you know they sort of just had everything yeah they were one-stop shop for 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 backwoods gangster shit now where do you stand on the whole carol baskin um the husband thing well not necessarily the husband is she just as bad as joe and doc and Mike Lowe? Or I don't is, know. Is yeah. she, is <laughs> she a saviour to big cats? Neither, probably. I think she's a capitalist. How about that, right? She knows yep. that the way to make money off of, um, if you're not going to be uh, like a fully accredited public zoo or whatever, you know, um, the way to make money on this stuff is to have an angle, right? And I think a rescue quote unquote is an angle right i don't know if what they're doing in there is any more rescuing than anyone else um uh, so I, I don't know i mean uh, is she as bad as joe well you know i don't know D depends on i think other factors i'm not sure if she put any hits out on anyone but you know that was up for debate so she maybe she did okay um, here's my view take out the husband murdering part which we'll get to in a second um I think for the sex trafficking in drugs, she gets a complete pass and she's a clean skin there. But her treatment of animals is essentially the same. Her treatment of workers is as bad, if not worse, than Joe's. Um, and her use of the capital system is... She's just a smoother operator. So I think she's in the same pantheon at least in regards to the tiger trade. The volunteers thing was really bad. Um where these people are working there for like a long time, a lot, and for free. Uh, yeah, save that for the podcasting. Should world. be illegal if it, you know. That's that, if you're involved in podcasting. Yeah, that's we love a given. working for free, right, gang? Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not good. Now we've sort of danced around it. Did Carol kill her first husband? Um, you know, the only other option I think is is kind of compelling on its own right is that he um, was 
at the at an end of life stage where he was not so um, cognizant anymore um, and, you know, flew around in a plane now. So, yeah, I think he I think she probably did. Yeah, um, I, I definitely do. I don't think, I think she probably did. I think it's likely it's Occam's razor, you know, yeah, type of thing. It is. And I'm not necessarily sure whether she fed them to the animals, but it certainly would be easy in that part of the world to dispose of a body without needing to feed them to tigers. And she... Oh, in Florida. Yeah. yeah. And she is a smooth enough operator that she could get other people involved. And I don't think she did the deed herself. I don't think she is um, that sort of operator, but certainly to get somebody to put a hit on her husband or just do a job for her. Yeah, absolutely. I think she could do that. Now, the real question is, when do Tony and I replicate the uh, Carolyn Howard uh, wedding pick where, where where one of us has, where Tony has me on the leash, for example? <laughs> no? Can we I, get that? I, I think we can, we can do that in a digital world. I'll just get a get a good photo from you or if you're not willing to give it up I'll, I'll go straight to your wife and yep. um yeah I'll, I'll definitely photoshop that uh, because i don't think we'll be doing it in real life at any time soon but if yeah, if we want to the las vegas club yeah or whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite casinos by the way one it's of... gone it got blown up oh it's gone no it's gone yeah did i not did you not know that tony is that like heartbreaking oh yeah I have not kept up on the Vegas scene because I haven't been there in a few years. I, I well, need to get back when, when... There's no Vegas news for you to listen to every couple of days. So. Uh, but, yeah, I like the um, grimier casinos. I like... Yeah. I suppose, like, the modern equivalent of that is the D. I used to love the gold spike. It's still there. You can still go there. Well, you can't right now, but you could. No, the, the, you know, not the right golden up. nugget, the gold spike, which Zappos... Oh, I think the gold at. spike is open again. Is it? Oh, Zappos bought that out and we're using it as a, like, retail hub. Not a retail hub. No, I think there's a casino there again. And, um, uh, yeah, no, you used to stay at the Gold Spike. That's famous. Um, Well-known stories there. Uh, $22 a night. uh, Yeah, you can't beat that. I mean, it's the same. Um, El Cortez, where I found a uh, roulette roulette marker um, on the ground. Uh, Brian thought I was going to get like arrested for it. Um, I love the El Cortez. <laughs> I'm glad that is not changing anytime soon. No, no, they've built up around it a little bit, but it's, uh, yeah. No, Vegas was gone. It did look like a convention hall at the end too. It's just like a big, it was just like a big empty room pretty much with accidentally some games fell into it. Uh, That's what I loved about the Las Vegas club. It was, it was just this big open space and because it was bigger than it needed to be, the gaming floor floor was spread out i think i think we can be confident and and you know we'll play these when we next meet up in vegas um there will be a tiger king slot machine i would say oh. pretty much a 100 percent chance that there will be a tiger king slot machine yep um so we'll, we'll have to dial those up um but yeah no the i think uh you know at least for the week that does or, or maybe for the for the next uh couple of months that might be the uh week Look on the on Tiger King, um, and we can move on to another show. I, I think, or Tony, you know what? I want to open it up just to make sure. Do you have any other Tiger King things you need to loft out before I officially seal the vault 
on Joe Joe Exhausted and Carol Baxson. <laughs> I think we've got to talk about the teeth situation and the service that Tiger King has actually done. I think for my nephew's generation, he's about 14, so heading into prime teenage years. I think it is a great message to stay off meth. I don't know. Those guys look like they're having a lot of fun for a while there, right? I mean, sure, but just make sure they watch the last two episodes. <laughs> if they only watch the first three episodes, you're like, shit, I go play with tigers and get shit faced every day. Oh, hell yeah. You know? Yeah, but there is also that shining example of Joe's husband no shirt, three teeth, lots of tats. That is, even when it's a fun romp, that is not a great. Um, you don't think that's a good look? No, not a great advertisement I mean, for meth. Getting getting ass every day. I mean, I don't know if it was any kind of ass he get and, or if he got pressured into it. I don't know. But I think he pressured himself into it with his own habit. Yeah, it feels like he talked himself. Those guys, there's a lot of like talking into going on in that in that show, wasn't there? Like just talking yourself into stuff. I mean, sex stuff and weird, you know, animal shit. <laughs> You're just constantly like legitimizing your, uh, yourself at all times to whatever decision you're making you're trying to like tell yourself it's okay that i think it's you know what it's an it's a 10 hour long drug uh warning video you're right the dare should play it or whatever um so tony uh something i did to myself that was stupid uh speaking of uh trying to should have talked myself out of this was i watched this netflix cooking show um People will remember that you and I did host a podcast that was only about watching cooking TV pretty much. Yeah, um, pretty much. And occasionally cooking. And I watched this show called The Final Table. And um, now, Tony, you've seen this, I believe. I certainly have. Uh, I got to say, I don't think it was a very good TV show. And I knew that almost within the first five minutes of listening to Andrew Knowlton talk. And yet, I did watch the entire thing. Um Tony, did you watch the show Iron Chef America? Are you familiar with this? I have show? watched a bit of Iron Chef America. I can't say I'm as um, well-versed in it as I am the original Iron Chef, but I have certainly watched sort of around the 50-episode mark of Iron Chef America. Okay, so you've you've watched a lot of it then in that case. So um, – there is a there is a judge on there uh, named Andrew Knowlton, and it was this guy. And I don't know if you knew this or had ever seen an episode with Andrew judging, but Andrew had a beard, I believe, and he had hair down to his shoulders. Ah, okay, that's why I sort of knew the voice, but couldn't place him. Okay, his voice and his voice in this show, and I, I have way too in depth of analysis of this show, which is going to be really exciting for everybody. But his voice in this show drove me nuts. Um, I hated it. Uh, he had this really fake TV host voice that was just like so synthetic sounding to me where he up talked even when he was like trying to talk normal. Um, you know how you'll like do the in you maybe you do like the intro or outro of a show and you do you might do like a more hosty sounding voice. I'm not good at that. And, um, you know. Just not not a strength of mine, but he was doing that for any time. So he'd be like, and the secret ingredient is French fries, right? And then the next time somebody would be like, oh, what do you think of the French fries? I thought the French fries tasted great, you know, and he's like, okay, yep. you need to cool it. 
Okay. Um, so he was doing that for the whole, uh, whatever, how many friggin' episodes there were eight episodes. Um, and also my other complaint was I had no idea who any of these people were. And I don't know how you felt about that, Tony. I did know one of the Australian chefs. Mind you, there were several Australian chefs of, of varying qualities and fame, but I did know one of I knew one of them. Um, Which one? The bald, bald Australian? Mark, Mark Best. I yeah, believe. Mark Best. I, I've known his of, of his work. I haven't eaten at his restaurant, so I, mm-hmm. I cannot attest to the quality of his food, but I, I did know him. I didn't know what this show was like top chef you kind of know what level those chefs are coming in at that they're established chefs not necessarily household nationwide names and on the final table i had no idea where they stood in the culinary world yeah in like the pantheon and, and it was it was all over the place too right so the guy who ends up winning um not not to spoil it, but the guy who ends up winning really has no vic- like like credential other than he's like he was nominated for a James Beard Award, a, a fine creden- a, you know a, a fine achievement, right? Yeah. But many of these other guys were like you know multiple Michelin stars or um, you know won a James Beard Award for, for instance, or had different sort of like recognitions or books they had written or you know much more like decorated chefs um and the guy who ends up winning is sort of like you know you know somebody wrote a nice review of him one time or whatever so i sort of thought that was a problem because i don't think everybody was like starting at the same sort of level yeah among other problems with just like it's hard to stay interested because it just it dragged a lot in the cooking parts of the show i thought I don't know what you thought about that, but the the cooking parts of the show, I like had a hard time focusing on anything, so I just stopped. Yeah, I, I thought they were bad, but they were better than the set piece. This is our history kind of. Let's be interested in me for an episode kind of pieces. They were oh, sure. atrocious, and I think if you're going to do that, they need to bear some um, idea of of who's either going to win the episode or go out. And not match up identically with that because you kind of knew with who they were focusing on who was going to They're go leaving. out that episode. Right, yeah. <laughs> we got to, oh shit, we got to fit in this guy's story because we haven't done it yet. Yeah. Yep. And that that's the way it read to <laughs> me. And and th- those stories were all over the place. You can tell they used local crews to put those things together because none of them matched in style. And they were disjointed and they, they threw the cooking off. They needed to either focus more on the cooking or be or keep or minimize the cooking part and focus more on these storytelling parts they they sort of split it 50-50 and neither of them worked in my view it was it was pretty bad as far as a narrative storytelling thing so the part i the parts i did like were okay i didn't like them but i was just i was just curious about them were uh, who are their like ambassador judges Yes. You know, for each place. And I would say 85% of the time had no clue who they were. Agreed. I was like, oh, Gary Lineker. I know who that is. That's yes. pretty cool. You know, <laughs> Gary Lineker is going to eat a banger or whatever. Um, and I knew, uh, I think I knew the U.S. ones. And I knew the, I mean, obviously I knew the U.S. chef, obviously. I <laughs> like patting myself on the back for knowing who Grant Atkins is. <laughs> pretty cool. Um, Do you know what I, city he, he, he works out of by any chance? 
What's that? Do you know what city Grand Which restaurant? No, what city? Oh, Grand Eck. It's where he's from. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Somewhere near, somewhere around here in the Midwest. I don't like know. Louisiana? Can't pinpoint it. Yeah, I think he's he's from Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> is, uh, I, I was surprised they didn't tell the whole Grand Eck story so I could hear it again. Um, it would have been more entertaining than those fucking atrocious stories. Yeah, he did. I mean, it is better than a lot of the other stories. I mean, he did have tongue cancer, which he got a, is insane. So, um, I was familiar with some of the other chefs from the other countries, and I thought I thought those were the most interesting people were the the chefs from other places. Um, I thought their personalities actually came through in an interesting way. You know, when they were judging, because they all sort of had a different approach to the judging. Yes. Yep. I thought Ackett's was very Ackett's like, like I was very, I, I sort of know him from other stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, that's who he is. You know, he does that. He's like awkwardly staring at the guy while he attempts to raise the spoon to his mouth without spilling whatever's on it. And I even thought like pumpkin was a very Ackett's choice of it. <laughs> I, I don't so. know if he actually did pick that, but it just, it's, it struck me as it would be something he would do. You know, so that was good. I, and I thought the, you know, all that whole, the whole like pomp and circumstance around it was good. I thought the set was way over the top um, and way too much like, <laughs> it reminded me of the Beat Bobby Flay set is what I'm going to say right now. I'm not familiar with Beat Bobby Flay, but oh, um, no. I have to agree with you about the set. The One of my many problems was the lighting on that set when they would go in between challenges and judging and then into cooking, those transitions were jarring as fuck. And also my other issue was the size of the set. It didn't feel intimate. It didn't feel like you're in a kitchen. It felt like you're at a set of workbenches that were spaced um, for social distancing. It felt like being at a, at a like the sim. If you're familiar with, the, there's the Simpsons episode where Bart, um, where Homer thinks Bart is gay. Are you familiar with that? And John Waters is a voice in it. Um, yep. And he runs like a like a kitsch shop. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, he takes Bart to a steel mill, <laughs> but the steel mill turns into like a rave. Uh, that set reminded me is if you took that steel mill. Yes. And combined it with the set for Great British Baking Show. Yes. Yep. It was those two things <laughs> mixed together. <laughs> it was really, really silly and really insane. And as the as the amount of and kind of like Baking Show, but they do a better job of like it's it's not as big of a room, and they I think they do a better job of like all of the production effort, you know. Yep. But it felt extremely empty when they got down to the handful of people left, right? It just was like this big empty warehouse. Because it, uh, it felt empty from the start, but when you go from from 16 teams or whatever they started with down to six, it's cavernous. And then we haven't even talked about the biggest issue, and that's where they spent all their fucking budget. It is the floating podium. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was stupid. I mean, it, it felt like they spent all their money on getting the ambassadors and the chefs, and then they were had like fifty bucks left to be like, "Oh my god, I have to find a host." Yes. Yep. Uh, and I have to find like I have to get some like the 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 PBS station in um, you know Tulsa to make a video about you know Billy the chef or whatever you know. Um, 
but yeah, no, that makes the floating podium. That's a great, uh, and, and like the, you know, some of those other set pieces, like the, the hot, the very high, um, you know, clearly requiring some sort of level of like safety management, um, like the, the, the lofts and oh, stuff. Just, yeah. Just their priorities were all wrong. I really think they just had their priorities in the wrong place. That is the biggest example of doing a cooking show wrong. Like we have an entire network that does cooking show wrong. You and contests. That, they can't stop doing contests, yeah. Yeah. And you would think that they would have learnt from the Food Network how not to do one. Did we ever learn if there was any money that these the chef wins for winning the show? I, I don't remember a prize. No, and it was never listed throughout the show because when you it was a seat at the final table which i don't know what that means um they did take a picture of him at the table with all the chefs but um that is not much of a prize a getting to sit by a famous chef i don't think um that's like going to to disney world and you get to sit next to mickey or whatever you know cool um I, I, I didn't like the, the ending. I didn't like the, the prize. I didn't like the, there wasn't one and I didn't, it just didn't feel like anything. So what happens now in season two, is that guy there? Um, does he take the place of Grant Ackett as, cause he's American, right? Um, does it, what, what does that mean? You know what I mean? I, there's no, like, there was no finality to that. Um, in fact, I, I, rem- I, I mentioned that I felt like I got to the end and I felt like it had been a long con in that, well, in a different way than maybe you did because they were, so they're at this set that reminded me exactly of a food network show that I mentioned. And I was just waiting for them for Knowlton to come out and say, he's like, and the winner is Bobby Flay. And then Bobby <laughs> Flay comes out, won the show. And it was a 10 episode long con of beat Bobby Flay, uh, who actually ended up winning this stupid show. Um, because it looked exactly like the Beat Bobby Flay set. But um, only that one's much smaller because they only have two little kitchens in there. But uh, it was, I just did not get what happened at the end of that show. It was really stupid. Um, and they got, and whatever. So uh, I, what I was hoping for was like a, like a some other playoff or something where it's like, okay, now he has to cook against these kick-ass chefs or something, right? Yep. Um, we didn't ever get anything like that. So, which you get it's in fine. the next Iron Chef sort of thing. There's a oh, I love that. See, I mean, that's that's what that's actually something that was missing for a while with next Iron Chefs was they actually had to beat an Iron Chef. And I think they should have had to. I think, by the way, with next Iron Chef, I think the new Iron Chef should have got, should have eliminated an old Iron Chef. I think that's yep. that feels like you know they should have picked the Iron Chef who had like the most losses the year before or something, but. So that's um, the Griff and Tony Pointless TV Show Review of the Week. Um, I give Final Table uh, three thumbs down, gang. Uh, Don't bother. Unless you really just want something on as background music. I'm not going to blame you for that. I'd do the same thing. Okay. Are you interested in some background music Netflix show? Do you need some more of that? Because I do have a recommendation. I do need that, yeah. I I just need more stuff to, like, have around, you know. Okay, so you can deal with British accents, obviously. You watch mm-hmm. Great British Bake Off. So I want to recommend a show. I don't know whether I'm. I don't know whether it's good, but I like watching it. If that makes sense. 
So it is Million Pound Menu on Netflix. Oh, I saw that. I didn't watch it, but I saw that. That's interesting. Okay. Tell me about it. It is um, It is two unknown restaurants trying to gain investors to go forward and further their business venture, whether it's a guy cooking out of his mum's kitchen and giving delivery meals to people or whether it's people that are market holders that are looking to franchise or move into permanent premises and they have um, a group of 10 investors and up to four of them can go each week and see if the food is up to standard and if their business model is likely to work and then they can choose to invest anywhere up to a million pounds to um, further the business. A little bit of like Shark Tank, which oh, definitely know, it's has that aspect to it, and then yeah, it's like cooking, which would be cool. Yeah, yeah, that that is exactly what it's like. And some of these people are well known as chefs. Adol Kutcher, don't know whether you're familiar with him, but he okay. was part of the uh, Great British Menu, different to Great British Bake Off, um, for many years. And there are people that you don't know, but are. Uh, movers and shakers from the business world and some of them choose to invest and others will put forward a proposition much like Shark Tank and the people involved in the business will knock them back because it doesn't suit their needs and some people are just fucking deluded like Shark Tank. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I think even the Shark Tank hosts kind of have like their brain sort of broken a little bit sometimes. But, yeah, no, there's... there's, um there's no shortage of people who will come up with a bad product and no shortage of rich people who will give them money to do a bad thing. So, uh, I love that with food. I love the opportunity of, I mean, (laughs) there's been a lot of, uh, I, I, I like the, I mean, so I like it that there might be something successful or cool, but I also like the idea that, or the potential that somebody will invest in like a, you know, a restaurant that only serves French fries or something, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yes. There, there are quite a few of those. Um, where one of them was somebody who made pasta and their their sort of gimmick was that they would um, put it on a on a full wheel of parmesan and the parmesan would melt and it it would sauce the pasta by um, oh like on the inside of the wheel yes yep I mean that's a that's a like a food truck but yeah it was a food it was actually a market. St- a market stall in England, but they wanted to take this into a restaurant setting. It cost $900. I mean, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> they they just rolled the pasta in it and then they continued to use that wheel throughout the week and they would sanitise it with brandy. So um, it was not like you got a whole wheel of pasta. I don't like how that sounds, yeah. Well, good thing nobody's worried about sanitation these days. Not a big <laughs> problem. Shouldn't be a problem. Good, all good there. Um, well, you know what, while we're, we can isolate our, our food talk to this episode, um, probably not cause we'll do this again, but, uh, I do want to, I'm not going to save this. I do want to bring this up. The great British bake off. We're talking about that. Um, I was, I'm actually relatively new to this and, and I know that everyone's, you know, rolling on the floor and screaming and saying, how did you not know about Paul Hollywood and how he was, you know, fucking Marcella Valladolid or whatever for, you know, do you guys know that? No, hey, I did not know news, that. If you could. Do you do you know who Marcella Valladolid is? Um, the the kitchen. She's on the kitchen. Um, Food Network show. Was with, she on uh, the American version of Great British Bake Off? No. Oh, I don't. 
maybe she's a uh, she she's a Mexican chef, so I I doubt she'd be able to bake off. But um, I think she I I think they met at some sort of food event, and um, I believe Paul uh, ended up getting divorced because he was. Uh, yes, she was the host of Best Baker in America, which is a spinoff of. Or, Marcella or, was. I yes. Yep. Wow. Well, so that's how it happened, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's actually, I learned that very early on in my watching of the newest season of Bake Off, which was uh, Paul Hollywood. He's out that guy's deal. And then first like handful of news stories, like Paul Hollywood's plowing this broad. And you're like, oh. <laughs> Every time I look up a chef, it's somebody, they're cheating on their wives. I don't know, Bobby Flay and I got... Uh, and Giada, and I got uh, Paul Hollywood and Marcella, and they just they can't they can't stop. Um, but uh, I do like though I, I like watching it as like kind of background. In, I don't I'm not getting as invested in the you know. And actually, Final Table did remind me of a really poorly produced Bake Off, even with the like side stories and stuff. It's just way worse, you know. Yeah. Um, did you come into Great British Bake Off late with the new hosts? Or you yeah, part of the I'm in with the new. With I'm Mary in with Berry. the. No, nah, I'm in with Sandy and uh, Noel. Noel. Which, which they're fine, but if if you need something to binge in this time of nothing but binge-worthy shows, I will recommend the earlier seasons um, of Great British Bake Off. Mary Berry is just no, a I great heard she's host. Good, yeah. Yep, um, a great not. He, she was the counterpart to Paul Hollywood before yeah, she was the, the crew of the early days. Yeah. Yep. I, now, I do want to complain about this though with, with this show. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Tony. I was just going to say that the other show I was talking about great British menu. Prue was an original host of that with two oh, okay. other guys. So Prue certainly has experience in the great British culinary TV scene. I do like that. I think, I don't know if I, I think Australia probably does the other countries do this better than American than america where am i um <laughs> they they value the skill of being on tv um and so they have like 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 sandy and and noel and and whoever else you know these they have tv people who sort of conduct the show you know what i mean presenters as it were yes. um we don't do that very well here we have like an old football player do it and um being good at, and we have Andrew Knowlton do it, for example, right? And being good at TV, I don't think we value as a skill set. Um, you know, if 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 someone, I don't know, you guys have the 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 hot uh, women who do like football, for example, right? Um, at least in, in not you guys, I guess in in England they do. I don't know if you guys have that in Aussie rules or not, but they have beautiful women who present football but they're good at tv they are it's you know they just have the they look at the camera right they talk in the right tone of voice they're news anchors you know um to a degree and we would just stick terry bradshaw in there uh, terry you co can you host this week cool you know and then he fucking stumbles around for two hours and nobody and nothing's and it's horrible um i think that bake-off was a sign to me that i'm like okay so they have the two food experts but they also have just good tv presenters who are just going to like make sure the show moves along, you know? <laughs> um, and I think that's a valuable thing to remember to do. Um, anyways, I have a complaint for this, this country, uh, in, uh, so the, the, in England, they play, uh, soccer 
and they have famously uh compared to the u.s they just play a long season and whoever wins the season wins the league which is a terrible way of doing things i'm gonna i disagree but um, I, I, what I don't like about the Bake Off, and, and I'm going to finish this and you can re- rebuke my, my concept of this, is that um, somebody can win many, many shows. They can win, you know, Star Baker four, three, four, five times in the year. And then, you know, they have like a bad day on the hardest day and then they're just eliminated. And somebody who fucked up all year and just like managed to stumble their way into the final it's happened two years in a row, I would say, um, can fall ass backwards into winning the show. And everyone says, boy, they were the underdog coming in. And it's like, yeah, because it fucking sucked the whole year. <laughs> um, and that drove me, that does drive me nuts. Um, I get that that's the case with cooking shows in general. I don't know why I notice it more with this because I think it's more, maybe it's got more of the nailed it quality to it where when someone screws up a baked good, it's very, oh, like, yeah. it has to be decorated. It's very obvious, you know? Um, so that's probably part of it, but, uh, I, I do get, I, there is something frustrating about seeing somebody just like eat shit for nine weeks and then win the show, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I get with a cooking show, but you're, you're asked to perform in the crunch. And if you're going to be considered the best baker, you should be able to perform in a crunch and at, at least it should be, as, it should be edible and it should be as a high enough standard to at least be considered in the same vein as all your other dishes. If you fuck up badly on that one final hurdle, don't you deserve to go home if we're treating this as a competition like a sport? um, I I guess maybe the winner part of it was more frustrating to me than like, you know, if you screw up, you screw up and you lose, right? But the fact that somebody could kind of just barely weasel in, (laughs) you know, for so many weeks um and then and then when i guess was a little bit frustrating um you know with the with the power of perspective i i do see that uh uh value in that you have to you have to win when it's the most important but um I don't know. It seems like uh, there should be like mini prizes or something. You know what I mean? Like when yep. Star Baker, you get a fucking here. Here's a thousand pounds. You know, come on. Yeah. So that you can at least sort of <laughs> take something with you for winning a many many times in a row. Yeah. Um, I, I do uh, agree with that because in like in Aussie rules, I don't think it's a big thing in the NFL. But if you are the best team in the regular season, you consider the minor premiers. And it's, it's oh yeah, it's a title. It's it's not like being the actual premiership winners and being the premiers, um, but at least you've played during the regular season and you've gone number one through twenty two two games. But then everything's reset at the playoffs. It has its own rewards for finishing higher up the ladder, and the higher up you. Um, you finish in the regular season, the ability you may have to have a second chance. Um, but at the end of the day, if you play good enough, you can be the eight, the last team in the playoffs, which is the eighth sure. team in Aussie rules, and you can win that. You can be the underdog. And Same in NFL, yeah. yeah. But I really like that with sport. I don't like the um, the British model where, or not just the British model, it's a more European model where you can have a winner five weeks out from the season finishing 
if a team is good enough. Really, it comes down sort of to that last right weekend. Now, yeah. yeah, and which I'm, is why I'm, I'd be I would love if they just cancelled it. That'd be great, just to end it. <laughs> That'd be so friggin' funny to me. Um, yeah, yeah I, well, I don't I mean, like that. Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, uh, yeah, Americans hate it. I, I actually have lots of friends who think it's insane. I don't think it's insane because they it's balanced. Their, there's cup championships, you know. Yep. You can play. I mean, they have. We have knockout turn. There's knockout tournaments too, you know. Yeah, um, they're both just different. In the country itself, there's the FA Cup, and there's other cups that are aside from the Premiership. The League and, Cup, which nobody cares about, but yeah. Yeah, so you do get those, those crunch times, but if you're going to have a crowning jewel, I think it should have a crunch moment. In it. And I know um, English football slash soccer is different because it is so um, so close in its margins often and, and draws pay, play a big part in that sport and the ability to be able to eke out results where you, where you share a lot of parity. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is important, but um, I like the, the crunch time of grand finals. Our soccer in Australia is played with a playoff system. Yep. The world cup is, is crunch time. Yes. There's round Robin early on, but you get to the finals and they're knockouts. So. You can, uh, you can take everything I said with a grain of salt because I love the NBA playoffs. I think the NBA playoffs are the greatest. Aren't they just about perfect for that particular sport? I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I think they're the right length, and they go on for the right amount of time. They're sort of that two-month window. It gives the best team every opportunity to win, but it also often leads to crunch time moments where we get upsets and we get get moments of pure sporting brilliance. Um, in other sports in America, I don't necessarily think they get it right. Um, I'm looking at you, baseball, but you oh, may yeah, disagree. Whatever. Who cares about baseball? I mean, except for our friend Brian, who gives a shit about baseball anymore. <laughs> That's the way I think about cricket, um, yeah. because it just the, at least baseball has a season. It's too long a fucking season. One hundred and sixty-one games is lunacy, but or sixty-three or whatever it is these days. One hundred sixty-two. Yeah, you're close. I was one number either side. But yeah, yeah, cricket is basically played all year round, no, if there was no coronavirus. And yeah, you have no no sense of an overall. And it starts or it ends. Even the games, you don't know. They're sort of just happening for (laughs) weeks at a time. It's just going on and on. Yeah, like baseball. Which season is this now? Are we at the beginning of last season or this season or the end of this season? Or where are we? It's, it's, uh, I mean, to to American fans, soccer has that feeling too, because you start the season in August and you end it in May. And it's like, when did, when did we, we never stopped. It just never ends. Yeah. And, you know, I miss the NBA right now, especially because it would be, we would be about coming up to conference finals uh, time right now. And those are my favorite series are the conference finals. Cause there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of times. Um, uh, so it's too bad. We're not, we're not get digging into that right now. Um, but we do have the last dance. So I'm, I'm, um, are you watching it, Tony? Yeah, I'm, I'm behind. So don't, no spoilers, even though we know the result and we know no the personalities. <laughs> we know the personalities. Nothing's, nothing's more reassuring to me when I watch that show that I know how it ends. Um, Jerry Krause. Gotta love him. He did a marvelous job keeping that team together and not letting his ego get in the way. Oh, just a great GM. Yeah, I um 
I gotta say, I don't, um, you know, maybe this is for another, another week, but, uh, uh, as it ends, as it wraps up here, but I was not a, I was not a fan of the revisionist history that I see on like Facebook and Twitter. That's like, boy, why were they, I mean, it's too bad that Jerry's not here to defend himself or that they're so mean to Isaiah in this. And I just don't know who's spending a lot, expending a lot of energy being sympathetic to Jerry Krause and Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Look, but I do want to ask you a broader general question, not just about last the last dance. I often swing between teams in the NBA because I do not live in a city in America like you do in Chicago. Um, so my loyalties swing depending on where my favourite Australian is playing at the time. Yeah, where Stephen Adams at, yeah. He's a Kiwi for fuck's sake. I know, I know. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> His sister, world-class discus thrower. So uh-huh. she's an Olympic yeah. medalist, believe it or not. One of like 24 children, Stephen Adams. That would Wild. have been an expensive grocery bill for his parents. God. But um, yeah, whether it be the Minnesota Timberwolves with Luke Longley, then Shane Heal. Oh, sure. San Antonio Spurs with Patty Mills, Aaron Baines, Patty or Mills. Yep. Andrew Gaze. Um, or oh, Chicago yeah. Bulls with Luke Longley. Yep, I remember Luke playing for the Bulls. Yep, he's a good player. He, he was a good player. But my allegiances um, shift from team to team. In the finals when Chicago Bulls, and not in not in the finals, in the playoffs, when Chicago Bulls haven't made it in the regular season, do your allegiances shift to one particular team or do um, you watch all the games or do you try and follow a narrative? Um, what's your sort of... I like watching the games. Um, I usually will just like lean towards a team. Um, I would like to say I was never a big Golden State fan. <laughs> I never really got on Golden State. It probably has a little bit to do with like, you know, history. Um, and I always hated when the Bulls never played well, even when the good Bulls played well in in San Francisco or Oakland with um, when the when the Golden State had, uh, you know, run TMC, if you remember that. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I never really liked the Warriors, um, so I couldn't get on them. Um, nobody liked the Heat and the Bulls and the Heat. I had a whole thing going on, so I couldn't <laughs> get on them. I was rooting for Cleveland when they won. Okay. Um, so I, I bounced onto that. Yeah, I wanted I wanted Cleveland to win one. Um, so you're a Delhi Stan? <laughs> was he even on the team that won? <laughs> he was. He was he on was. the team that that lost. I remember the first team, the the team that. Um, when uh when Kyrie and uh Kevin Love were both hurt, but um he's playing like forty minutes a game. Yeah. I have to series. stand up for the kid. Like this was a guy that went undrafted, played for Saint oh, yeah, Mary's. Delhi's a good a, a, had a great career. I mean I would never yeah. I would never shit on that. Absolutely playing I mean, you gotta be good enough to at least to cram out twenty five, thirty minutes in the finals. I mean whatever. Um <laughs> so yeah, I'll bounce around. I'll 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 you know, kind of latch on for a little bit. I used to like watching uh, the old Memphis teams were, were kind of fun teams for me to watch because I liked, I liked Zach Randolph and the Grindhouse Mike teams. and those guys. Yep. What's up? The Grindhouse teams when yep. Dave Yeager yep. was in charge. Guys. Um, but, yeah, so it'll just sort of vary year to year. I usually just don't get on the team that's the favorite. Um, I can't imagine rooting for the Lakers or the Clippers. This this year had it gone through. Um, this year had, definitely had not. Gone. Yeah. But in years past, I I 
because growing up I was a, a Magic guy. I, w- I wasn't a Jordan guy early on. When Magic was at his peak, I was, I was a Magic guy. So I still to this day could never, ever support a Boston team. Doesn't matter what sport that, that's in. But No, no. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, same. I mean, Chicago is the same way with Detroit. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I should have liked the makeup of like, say, the 04 Pistons, you know, the Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace, Rashid and Ben Wallace and, you know, those Rick. guys. But uh, I just did not. I didn't care. Uh, I don't like them. Um, uh, I was I mean, they, they weren't making the playoffs at all, but I was rooting for Tib, the, the Tibber Wolves. <laughs> Minnesota when they had Tibbs and Derek. Um, I was on them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Bulls suck, so you have to pick something else to at least follow because I like watching the games, um, And which, which, you know, it's not great. I mean, I would love to watch a good Bulls team again. It's been, you know, six, seven years now since we had a competent team, so... It's getting depressing, but six, seven years since you had a competent team. What, what was there? A, oh, those were the Tibbs teams with Jimmy Butler. Yep. Yeah, the, the Tibbs and, and Derek and Derek and Butler and Joaquin. Taj and Joakim. Yeah, those were good teams. Lou Aldang. How fun was his jumper? Noah's jumper. Noah. Oh yeah, like the two-handed push shot. He shot like seventy-nine percent from the line. I know. A whatever of those years. It was wild. I know. He's crazy. He's now fifth in the MVP voting one year. Insane. Uh, well, I think we've, we have bounced around topics a lot today. We managed to barely talk about beer. Um, uh, I did finish my IPA, so that's a good sign that it's about time for me to wrap up and open another beer. Um, Tony, be- uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Will it be another IPA? No, I think I'm going to drink this coffee stout that I got. Um, from the same brewery though, it's from Parish. So nice. Go open that, and I'm gonna eat a giant cookie because Kelly baked these enormous cookies, bakery style cookies that are very, very tall. I would say is <laughs> not a usual way to describe one, but they're really good. Um, kind of doughy in the middle. I like them. I'm just imagining this giant mound of dough. It looks like a. It looks like a a, a breast is what it looks like. Oh, is so a cookie. You- so you went sexual, I was thinking like a cookie igloo. Wow, that is better. I should have thought of that. Yeah. I was thinking of a cookie tit. So here we are. Um, Great. And it's something I eat. So that's even funnier. Ha ha. Uh, so only four or five creepy things I said today. Another banger of a show, of course. Uh, Tony, do you have any parting words for our uh, delightful audience for sitting through you know, me saying naughty words and being gross. There's only one other word that sounds worse coming from a mid-30s person other than banger, and that is the word bop. Nobody over 20 should be using the word bop unless it revolves around kids bop. Well, that's a British baking show thing because I heard the word, I heard burger bop 47 times and I couldn't stop saying burger bop, so. Uh, I can't wait to put my burger on my burger bop and dance the kids bop and that shit is that's a bop that slaps I don't know whatever all right thanks everybody we'll talk to you next week with some more uh 
you know, whatever the hell it is I'm going to say. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and look at my pictures of shipments of beer I'm getting. It's at Beer Engine Pod. Uh, Tony might post on there sometime. Who knows? Maybe not. Absolutely, I will. Um, and uh, you can email us. And I might even read your email on the air. Um, I'm hoping we get some spam because I would love to read that on the air. Uh, our email address is uh, beerengineshow at gmail.com. Uh, so drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Let us know how much you hate me. Uh, let us know how weird it sounded when I said tit. Uh, it was bad, wasn't it? I hated it. Um, so just, uh, you know, and if you need a topic, uh, I don't know, Tony, what, you got a topic for the emails? You put something in the subject line. Okay, we're done here. This this outro <laughs> has gone on far too long. Don't forget All to right. rate, share, and uh, subscribe. Put, a, put outro in the subject line and tell me how good it was. Um, all right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.